calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to Story Smack. This is Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A.B. Sigler. I am an audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler, number one New York Times bestselling novelist. And I am not the guy in the PG-13 movie. Everybody's really hoping that it will happen for. I'm the guy in the R-rated movie that you're not sure you like yet. And as ever, back with us once again, because we're this lucky, is uh, Empty Set Movie Maven, Rob Otto. How are you, Rob? I am so money, and I don't even know, (laughs) which honestly... Just having said that made absolutely no sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's not untrue in the movie either. But, you know, Vince Vaughn is essentially spouting gibberish. <laughs> uh, Rob and I have hung out with a lot of people that that's all they do, is mm-hmm. including us, actually. We including started. Scott and I. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, if you guys are unaware, we are reviewing Swingers today. It is the 25th anniversary of this movie's release. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. So we made... Classic lounge cocktails on uh, the West Coast. We are drinking brown derbies in honor of the brown derby, which is featured in the in the movie, uh, not named but featured in the movie. And Rob, what are you drinking? A gin and tonic sounds really, really good to me. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah. You are such a big bad voodoo daddy. It's crazy. Oh, I am. All right, and you want to give us the movie guy intro, yes. Mr. Sigler? Yes, I'll give you the movie guy intro. <clears throat> A transplanted New Yorker attempting to acclimate to Los Angeles, Mike Peters, played by Jean Favreau, is struggling to both boost his comedy career and get over his last relationship. A self-proclaimed master of seduction, Mike's buddy Trent Walker, played by Vince Vaughn, tries to show him how to make connections and get the attention of women. Slowly moving toward regaining his confidence, Mike meets the gorgeous and down-to-earth Lorraine, played by Heather Graham, sparking a welcome new romance. <laughs> you know, um, you're. I know it's the movie guy voice, but it's yeah. a little ominous for such a for such a comedy. <laughs> like it's a comedy, and he's well, like, he meets Lorraine. I kind of feel that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that the the joke in the joke of the movie is that Mike is not funny at all, and he's a comedian. And he's not yeah. one. T- he has no one liners, no jokes, no nothing in this movie. So he's probably a psychopath. He's probably going to cut up Lorraine and put her in the trunk. And I mean, then blame it on Trent. You watched this movie. Well, we didn't see part two. In part two, I mean, there's two, not. No, no. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm no, pretty that's, sure. That's the that's the ma- the made guy movie. What's that one called? The made. Made. In- made. Yeah. made. Yeah, it's made. It's made. Uh, yeah. Okay. Do you got your script? So wait, maybe it's like Swingers Two, uh, the Bunny Strikes Back, or something like that. Is the that, Money, the Money Strikes Back. I think it'll have to be Swingers yeah. Two, in it for the money. All right, baby, <laughs> tell us about the box office of the movie. How did it do? 
So swingers cost $200,000 back in 1996 sure. to make, which is $329,000 in today's dollars. It It is, uh, it, you know, that seems like uh, we know this as an indie movie. That is an absolutely enormously great budget for an indie movie. It's yeah. also an enormous budget for an indie movie. A lot of indie movies make much, much smaller budgets. Um, well, I'll tell you, I wouldn't even cross a street for $329,000. <laughs> Come on. Um <laughs> It grossed $6.6 million in theaters, which is $11 million in 2021 money. And that, pretty baby, is an absolute hit. That is a huge hit. Huge hit. We're going to talk how this helped launch a couple of careers that were already in the making. But it's it's a seminal movie, and it's great. Rob, uh, what is your general thoughts? Like, we're going to go with the high-level thoughts, and we're going to start. We'll get into characters, and then we're going to talk about all the cool backstory of how this movie got made. Well, I think the biggest thing is A already touched on it, right? This is this is an indie film, a bigger budget indie film, but still an indie film. And the idea that if you've got a great idea and talented people that on a smaller budget and with breaking some minor zoning restrictions <laughs> and <laughs> laws, <laughs> that you can create something that twenty-five years later yeah. people are still talking about. Like if you can figure out the way to, to stretch that money and do some guerrilla filmmaking, and we'll mm-hmm. get into some of the details on how they did that. If this is a long-lasting film, and it comes right down to Scott, what you do, right? The script. Yeah. The script's great. It is really well written, and that's why this movie holds up so well. And, you know, that makes a ton of sense because if you think about, and we'll talk about this, but if you think about where Jean, Jean Favreau headed from Swingers, mm-hmm. uh, and he's the one who wrote this this screenplay, um, you can sort of see, like, it's nice to see a guy in Hollywood doing the right thing the right way. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for um, these being young people in Hollywood and young people in Vegas and whatever. But really, the the movie also holds up over time for uh, interpersonal relationship sort of status. And I love that, too. Uh, My general thoughts on the movie come down to the curse count. (laughs) 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 The word fuck is used 95 times. The The word bitch, 31 times. An asshole, 13 times. That is a... By far the most important part of this this whole You're movie. saying the curse count is more important than the fact that it put John Favreau on the map. I'm you say- understand what John Favreau <laughs> did with yes. his career. I'm just saying you gotta just have pointed, just checking. You gotta have a good curse count because as we know, the vast majority of my bad reviews on Amazon come from a potty mouth. So I like to celebrate. <laughs> it was a good story, but why does he have to talk like that? That's not oh, how people well, talk. Yes. I'm like, come hang out with Rob and I. That that is exactly <laughs> Exactly watch, people talk. watch swingers, baby. That's how. <laughs> I have a question, Rob. Did you watch this movie in the last week or two? Yeah. So here's the funny thing. I watched it about three or four days ago, and mm-hmm. then at like nine o'clock last night on HBO Comedy, boom, swingers. <laughs> so I watched it again last night. <laughs> so in the interim, uh, from a few days ago to now, have you been? peppering all of your conversation with uh money and baby and baby yeah. money and baby yeah yeah, we, us yeah the pretty yeah. baby, the money thing. Pretty baby. Yeah, you're so money you're so you money mm, so yeah. many times That's... i'm so much older than That's... i should be to yeah use but you know what every <laughs> every <laughs> time every time i go downstairs to grab something I'm like hey pretty baby you're like huh. <laughs> 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 it's just so silly you love Listen, it if if you weren't encouraging him a eh, he would stop <laughs> oh i'm doing <laughs> it too though i'm doing it i'm doing Rob, it like rob's known me for 40 years yeah. plus and I not encouraging yeah, me doesn't matter. I doesn't do it anyway. Stop. Doesn't Honestly, do. the more you try to discourage him, probably the more he would do I, it. I have started to learn this about Scott. Yes. <laughs> All right, Rob. Speaking of John Favreau, who is yeah. 
Uh, for all of Vince Vaughn's massive success, John Favreau is the Hollywood titan that came out of this movie. Um, but he had so many tasks in this movie. Why don't you tell us about his roles? Yeah, he was the auteur, right? I mean, you know, he starred, he wrote in it, he co-produced it. I mean, mm -hmm. he he stuck to his guns to make sure that the guys he wanted to star in this movie, his mm -hmm. friends, actually were able to be in the movie. So it's such a cool story. He wrote this script. His dad got him a script writing software. Mm -hmm. Right back in the, you know, mid mid 90s. And he just thought, well, I'll just test it out and see if I can write a script on this new software. And in less than two weeks, he bangs out swingers. Mm -hmm. I mean, baby, that is so funny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's so what I'm funny. talking about. And, and that's the thing is that he wrote the part for himself. He wrote it for Ron Livingston. He wrote it for Vince Vaughn. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. And then they had to start shopping it around. Mm -hmm. right? And so he knew Ron Livingston. They were together in an improv group. Um, he met Vince Vaughn and became fast friends with him. They were both in the movie Rudy about uh, three years before this one okay. was released. Mm -hmm. So, you know, likelihood he wrote it and started trying to sell it right around the same time that he was starring in, in Rudy mm -hmm. and that Vince Vaughn had that bit part. And so that's just where all this came from. And it was real life, right? Yeah. It was his story. Well, now, not, go ahead. not from New York, but from Chicago. Okay. He had come out to L.A., he had broken up with his long-term girlfriend, and it was Vaughn and Livingston that kind of helped keep him sane and help him work through it. And that's really what that's this awesome. script is about. It's about a hopeless romantic right. who can't let go of somebody until the real hero of this story shows up and shows him that he really is money. Yeah. He should have known it. Yeah. And uh, Vince Vaughn, of course, is yeah. the other major star. Not, oh, we'll, for sure. get, we'll get to Heather Graham, but she had a track, a running start into this. But yeah, for sure, mm -hmm. for sure. Vaughn, but she's also this, not one of the main characters. Not one she of the shows main. up sort of no. later in the thing. But, Vince, but Vince, this made Vince, right? It definitely did. But I want to point out about Jean Favreau and this uh, creation story. We see this sometimes in indie film. We certainly saw it in The Boondock Saints. We saw it in Clerks, for sure. And Clerks, yeah. of course, was a, a not a, a any kind of a romance or whatever. But but it was a comedy and um, the Boondock Saints, of course, had a lot in going for it. But what's interesting about both of those movies is, you know, the Boondock Saints has this long and storied uh, backstory. And then uh, Tro uh, Troy Duffy, who wrote it and was the auteur, absolutely believed that he was the absolute business and kind of never got anything else off the ground. And right. then there's uh, there's Kevin Smith, who if he, he, he talks about doing Clerks, and to this day he'll talk about, like, I mean, it was an indie film, and yes, I maxed out $37,500 yeah. in credit cards, right. but the only reason you see it is that it stopped being an indie film when Miramax put a million dollars of advertising behind it. And mm -hmm. he's completely transparent about it. And then you have... Like the kid actor who grows up, the kid actor who grows up to be Fred Savage, for example. Like this is John Favreau. He made this indie movie that ha shouldn't, by all expectations, shouldn't have become swingers, and he uses his power for good. <laughs> you know, he doesn't become an egotistical maniac. He doesn't become a drug addict. He just makes better movies that we all enjoy. And more, Vin, more good movies that Vince we all enjoy. Vince Vaughn has become all of the above. Absolutely. So, so, <laughs> yeah. uh, so will, Vince, listen, I will argue one point about Clerks. Yeah. I think it is a love story. Uh, Jay and his hetero life mate Simon oh, yeah, Bob. Yeah. Thank for you sure. very much. Okay. For sure, I stand welcomely corrected. Yes. So uh, Vince Vaughn, by this time, had had small parts in Twenty One Jump Street yep. and Doogie Howser, MD, and Doogie of course Hauser, MD. Yeah. that that um, that uh, bit part in Rudy that you mm -hmm. talked yes. about. Mm -hmm. um, Swingers, without a doubt, put him on the path to stardom. If you watch Swingers in the last two weeks and you have also in the last 30 years watched a river run through it, you see that this is 
Vince Vaughn's same star making as a leading man role as A River Runs Through It. Like it's totally kowtowed to the babies. You know, mm-hmm. all the ladies love uh, that lean dude with the big hair and whatever. Yeah. But he's actually focused on his friends. I mean, except for the one part in the Airstream. But other than that, he's focused on his <laughs> friends. And uh, I like that approach because it, it it's a great platform. You don't see the depth that Vince Vaughn will eventually bring to like true detective, which his season wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. He was terrific in it, though. Um, and so he, thanks to Swingers, he ends up doing Old School and Dodgeball and Anchorman and uh, Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Yeah, yeah. And then Wedding Crashers, right? And you see the genre that he's going for. And what's interesting about this is where he started is is a much bigger palette and a much bigger canvas. So he has that potential in him. He's just mm-hmm. so good at the uh, Judd Apatow sort of roles that he does a lot of that. Um, and his part in Jurassic World uh, comes from this movie, which we will get to, but uh, Pretty Baby, uh, tell us about that lovely car. I know, that lovely car that he drives in the movie. Mm-hmm. This is great. So he drives the sweetest ride, and of course, if you watch Stringers, you know that there's a whole scene about what you drive. That car, <laughs> a 1964 convertible Mercury Comet Caliente, was actually owned by Jean Favreau. <laughs> That's the best Caliente. So Favreau was part. sort of a little bit Trent and a little bit Mike. And, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but... Uh, the things in and around Favreau's life show up all the time in this movie. We'll see it again in a few minutes too. So you're gonna want to tell us about Ron let's Livingston. Talk about the last of the the last of the trio, um, the Holy Trinity, the Holy Trinity. Ron, <laughs> Ron Livingston, who of course has been in one of my favorite, probably everybody's favorite movies, but he had um, he was already a working actor. He'd had uh, he'd done an episode of Jag. And that was that was about it. <laughs> uh, it and that uh, it took him some time to break out, and he had been in TV series That's Life and Townies. Of course, then it was Office Space that made him uh, the the household name mm-hmm. that he's at least in the nerd community. If you've ever worked in an office, worked as a programmer, worked in in marketing, anything like that, you've watched Office Space. And then this eventually led to his huge huge performance in Band of Brothers, mm-hmm. which is. Um, if you're an American and have never watched Band of Brothers, go get it. Watch Band of Brothers. It Even will, if you're not, if you're if you're a movie buff, I think. If you're this, a movie buff or uh, need any, any need to appreciate the military of any country, including Germany, frankly, they did such a good job with it. You watch that. Now he's be, since been a regular on Sex and the City, uh, Boardwalk Empire, and he's pretty much, if you look at his IMDb page, he's been working nonstop yeah. since Swingers right now, and he's so busy right now, TV series that are in the last year, this year, the year before, like last three years, Louder Milk, Search Party, Pantheon, he's uh, he's absolutely killing it. And he's got another one where you you see him in his breakout role, which I'll call Office Space and not Swingers. He's mm-hmm. certainly fine in Swingers, he's but it's not swingers. his it's not his vehicle. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but Office Space clearly is Ron Livingston's vehicle, and he follows that up. Uh, his next big starring thing is Band of Brothers, and mm-hmm. Band of Brothers does that same thing I was talking about with Vince Vaughn, where you see okay. the real, true ability to act in ba- oh, Band yeah, of Brothers so for good, all the dude. dramatic so stuff. Good. And also, you know, you it would be easy to assume that Ron Livingston in his part in Swingers is not really acting; he's just being Ron Livingston. But that's always bullshit. You don't. Nobody is themselves with four hundred lights and boom mm-hmm. mics and sixteen people watching you say this one thing. You're not yourself, even though if you look like yourself. So I love that. He he had he also has a back and forth with his career so you can see him as a well-rounded actor because often comedies are overlooked for the skill they take to get it right uh you know what okay totally i have i'm having a terrible day here, here we go. <laughs> oh, I look. Pictures, hi actors rob as we're talking about these lovely people the person who was the most established in this movie was heather graham yeah right heather graham yeah, and sure. and 
if you want to talk about um, somebody who owned the mid to late 90s, Heather Graham can be in that oh, conversation. Geez, yeah. like, we tend to go to the actors more than the actresses, but Heather Graham was huge. And this movie was just like a little stepping stone for her. It really helped launch her out. But, you know, at the time she'd been in some Growing Pains episodes. Um, she'd done some stuff in Twin Peaks. She was in Digstown, which is a hugely underrated movie mm. that I would love to do a story smack yeah, on. What a great hint, movie. Hint, what a great movie. Let's do that. Um, yeah, I'm with even you. Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, right? But she is just about, like, right as this movie came out, she's about to do Boogie Nights, Scream 2, Lost in yeah. Space, Austin Powers. I mean, she explodes right as this movie is being released into movie theaters. And her career is just absolutely huge. Now, she has kept working. She actually had a real downturn for a while. She was in a TV series that I can't remember the name of it. It literally aired the first episode and it was so bad they canceled it after the first episode. Wow. So she has had she took a real downturn until she came back in 2009 in The Hangover. And now all of a sudden she is a highly sought after oh my older working actress that, again. Her in the hangover was so amazing cuz it's it 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 had very established actors but all of a sudden Heather Graham shows up as the stripper of the heart of gold and yeah. it was it was fantastic. Well, and it's Heather yeah. Graham looking hot like fire Heather Graham. Hot like fire in the hangover, right? right? And completely understands that yeah, she had a few years off whatever whatever whatever, but she is not only hot like fire in this movie but she's hot like fire and this is a Heather Graham comeback. And she can just eat it all up, and yeah. she just deserves it. Yeah, yeah. and then um, you want to talk. Listen, you want to talk hot, hot like fire. I mean, when Lorraine appears, and it's the only time we see her on screen is the last few minutes of this right. movie. But she has like that that fifties victory curl, rolls, victory you know, rolls along, yep. along called, the you know. Yep. Her, her and actually, Rob, just so you know, hairline. that that that's called a victory roll, and that's the picture that's up right now next okay. to us. Yeah, I mean, look at that. And the the bright red lipstick is just Mm -hmm. absolutely angelic. Yeah, and, uh, you know, when when Favreau first sees her, gets a smile, somebody walks between her and the camera, comes back, it's the little bunny. They should have given the victory curls to to the bunny. I'm just saying. (laughs) That was was a director's choice. But, yeah. Um, And so, and really, uh, this is why I say she's the hero of this movie, right? Favreau, Mikey, seeing her, his confidence goes from zero to 100 mm-hmm. almost immediately. And he mm-hmm. walks over to her and he sits down. And the funny thing is, first thing out of his mouth is when she says her name's Lorraine, he talks about Quiche Lorraine. And she's like, boy, I've never heard that before. Yeah. And <laughs> she could have ended it right there. And if she ends it right there, Mikey's back down to zero. Right. Yep. And she keeps the conversation going. They find out they have something in common. She's the one that asks him to dance. Mm-hmm. Once the, you know, the, yeah, the swing song comes on, and then he's he in. tries to walk away. She brings him back. Yep. I mean, and then they swing dance, which they had practiced. They had rehearsed just the two of them for like a month at Heather Graham's house mm-hmm. leading up to this performance. That's but awesome. She, she validates Mikey being money. And then it's mm-hmm. it's all on. It's on. Oh, it's so and they, on. They it also, is so on. They also practiced at the Derby where that film was shot, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. The locations in this movie, and we might talk about it a little later, but the locations are basically places that Vaughn and Livingston right. and, and Favreau hung out, right? Yeah. So the Derby which you guys are drinking a brown derby. Mm-hmm. That was the the brown derby used to be the old, you know, 30s, 40s restaurant there. Mm-hmm. That got gone. The derby took over it for a while, and now that's gone, and it's like a law office or something now. Mm-hmm. Or and in case you guys, since is, we, only, we only saw the interior of the brown derby, when it was the brown derby for 
ages when it was the Brown Derby uh, bar in Hollywood. The on t- on the roof on the roof ish on top of the roof was a derby a brown yeah, derby hat a like giant a brown, brown derby yeah. hat yeah so it uh, was especially in the nineties when this swingers cocktail uh, vibe happened right. in ho- Hollywood and everywhere else too but especially in Hollywood that was all of a sudden after forty years the derby is back in business and doing mm-hmm. all the cool drinks and getting all the cool honeys and getting all the sweet money and all the babies exactly and whatever. Right. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Now, yeah. Rob, I uh, still <laughs> I see this. I see this gentleman's name, and I only see the word dessert because I like dessert a whole lot. What is it? How do you pronounce this actor's last name? Okay. Well, first of all, um, if you knew the English language, you would know that's desert. <laughs> desert still because dessert has two s's, right? You always get a, a second like helping dessert. of dessert. First I like of all. dessert a lot, but it's yeah, uh, exactly it's, right. It's Desaire. Desaire. It's, it's Alex Desaire. Alex Desaire. So the last actor we're going to cover, and there's there's so many actors in this. There's a lot going on, but we don't have that much time. So we're yeah, going to talk fair. about Alex Desaire because he has come full circle into the nerd world in Force A. Tell us about Alex well, Desaire. Well, you know, uh, he, what's interesting about him, too, is I, I was going to say this about um, Rob's great point about Heather Graham. One of the things that Heather Graham's character does is, without question, uh, shore up Mikey or Mike mm-hmm. in the in the movie. However, she's also that person exists in every town in every Saturday night bar where you're just trying to go and meet somebody new. She's not Hollywood, she's her. Mm-hmm. She's real. She's mm-hmm. a thing we can all connect to. And so is this character. He is like he's the workaday actor who's not doesn't have like his head in the stars or whatever. He's like, dude, I just want to pay my rent and get high, like have some fun and get a few drinks and hang out with my friends. That's what I'm trying to do where uh, you know, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, but there are so many scenes in this movie which are c- iconic Hollywood, like things that we all think if we get on a bus and we go to Hollywood to become a big star, we're going to have to do. There's right. the, what car do you drive? And the, I can't drink with you at that bar because it's not classy enough. And he's just like, man, I just want to do my job, go home, have mm-hmm. drink, whatever. So he uh, started in 90210, I think. Yep. He was in the 1990s version of The Flash. Which is uh, cringeworthy, but great. <laughs> yeah, he had a mm-hmm. recurring role in Boy Meets World. And he has done a ton of work since 
Winger's a ton, ton, ton of voice work and uh, cartoons and video games. And right now, he's Carl Carlson <laughs> ah, on is. The Simpsons, and he's done that for years and years as well. He was also in PCU, which is another one, Rob, I think that might oh, be 20, call. 25 or 30 oh, years in. Oh, my goodness gracious. Heck yeah. Oh, my God, that movie. And I watched it, uh, I think I watched PCU a couple of months ago, and I'm like, okay, literally nothing has changed. This is... Mm-hmm. Fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. If anything, it's more PC. So, <laughs> no. and that's that's the role I know him best from. Yeah, is, oh, is for him sure. Yeah. In PCU, so yeah, I would love to do that. A story smack on that one too. That'd be great. And uh, once you become a regular on The Simpsons, you are a legend. That is just the way things work. For sure. So now right. we're going to go into uh, we we've introduced the actors in this movie, and now we're going to talk about some of the awesome, awesome backstory of a movie that wound up launching multiple. A-lister careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, tell us a little bit about how this movie got made. So Favreau's script, which again, he wrote in less than two weeks. And once they started shopping it around, there was a lot of interest. There were big movie production companies that wanted to get on board with this movie. But hmm. um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this or, or not, Scott, but some people in Hollywood, they like to change the source material <laughs> uh, once they see it. I, I don't know if you've ever had to deal with that, yeah. Scotty. Yeah, but, I have, uh, yeah, I have. But hey, there were people you know, willing to put millions of dollars behind this, but they're like, well, we just have to change a few small things. Like Trent, um, let's make him a woman. What? All right. And um, yeah, let's let's not put the people you want to star in this. Let's put Johnny Depp and Jason Priestley. Yeah, right. Let's put, you know, Jason that's Priestley. who we want to star in this movie. <laughs> Love Jason Priestley. But Jason yeah. Priestley, come on. No, come on. He's not money. He doesn't know it. Uh. Um, <laughs> you know what? You know what? Yes, this is an excellent movie. You know what it means? More violence. Yes, that's, that's apparently a boy named Sue was supposed to shoot somebody outside the Derby that night. So that's because that yeah, says that, comedy six ways to Sunday. That was a rewrite. Yeah, exactly. That was one of the rewrites. They wanted boy, Sue, uh, yeah. Sue to shoot. No, they, they wanted they wanted more violence. And that's the only violence. I mean, other than Wayne Gretzky's head bleeding on the ice. <laughs> I guess that was maybe they added that violence in. Right. Yeah. And then or uh, or they wanted um, we want less honeys, monies and babies. What? What? No, that's what we all say when we talk about this movie. Mm-hmm. It's and no it, money, baby. That's I mean, that's no. And or let's not send them to Vegas. What? So, uh, let's. So it's um, and Favreau started doing this with his friends at like at readers, like live yeah. reads, trying to get interest in the script, right? Yeah, exactly right. And um, a woman that Favreau had known from a previous project, um, Nicole Lagia. Um, she said, oh, I would love to work on this. She ends up being a line producer in the final production, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's on board from one of these, like, you know, live reads that she was able to see. And she's like, well, you know what? My roommate's a director, and he's been trying to get a feature film. Um, <laughs> his name's Doug Lyman. And then Doug Lyman comes to the table, and he's like, well, my dad's business partner has wanted to fund a film. Maybe I can get the money from oh him. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. Nicole's roommate's Doug's father's business partner put up $200,000, but Doug Lyman had to direct. Mm -hmm. And Doug Lyman, they said, okay, Doug, you direct, but Favreau, Livingston, and Vaughn have to star in this movie. And everyone said, okay, let's make a movie. And I love this so much because, you know, there's, we talk about this a lot, uh, and Scott, you've talked quite mm-hmm. publicly about the need to move to Los Angeles, yes. right? Yes. And this is why it's you're going to meet and we have met mm-hmm. 
zillions of people who have all the stars in their eyes and not only no power, but also no willingness to work for it. Um, And then these people turn out to be kismet in this way where they're all hungry. They're all willing to do the hard work. And Nicole Lelogia, thank goodness, who also ends up being the voice of Michelle on the phone at the very end of the movie, Mm -hmm. which I love as a denouement for her that she gets credit in Swingers as a character as well. Um, Mm -hmm. She's like, yeah, no, Doug has to direct it. But also you finally get what you have been insisting on and giving up a chance to make the movie so that your boys can be in it too. And I and I don't say that lightly. I don't mean like he just wanted his pals in it. He knew the way to make these characters right. sing was, was to them. make these actors those characters as well. And I think that was the right thing to do. And and that takes a lot of cojones. John Favreau had to walk away from deals he could have made sure. and taken the money and run, and he didn't do it. And that... <laughs> It makes me happy for him. And that this he's, is he's now Jean one Pepper. of those success stories. A lot of people who are trying to get into movies, uh, trying to get into showbiz, you know, they, there's now this theory that you don't have to move to L.A. And A and I were actually on the cusp of moving to L.A. before the pandemic hit. Now we're like, we're Thanks, old. COVID. This is fine. Thanks, COVID. <laughs> but um, it's it is these these social connections and stumbling into people who wind up becoming the guy behind the guy. Like the closest we have come to getting a, a show actually made was with Joseph Kahn, who's a director of many, 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 he's like the most successful uh, music video director ever. I met him in the line at Dragon Con while we were in the, the sushi line. Like, yeah. And y'all know, all the work Peach I've Tree done, Center's uh, sushi uh, buffet, that's where they met. Out of all the work I've done, all the, all, the, all the meetings I've had, everything, the closest I've come was with a guy I met in a sushi line. At a, at a sci-fi con. So we're going to talk about... Love of, of rice and raw fish was has been the best move for your career, Yeah, right? Actually, yeah. I'm the best move for his and career, but like, the second okay, best move. And like the, <laughs> the, the director of this, who is a random connection, goes on to direct. Yeah, make The Born Identity. He makes wow. um, so many things. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Edge of Tomorrow. Loved. Yeah. But before, I want you to talk a little bit about like also being part of a moment. You just mentioned it for us. Like we were... with tossing the idea around to move to LA so you would be more in the mix and all mm-hmm. that other stuff. And mm-hmm. then stuff happens around you. COVID happened around us and it changed the plan. Likewise, I think in this movie, they're all there because they want to be actors, not because the craft cocktail scene is coming or the right. swinger scene is coming. And right. that happens when they're all there and they make the most of it. I think you can tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, this this movie came about with the revival of the swing culture, which happened in the 90s, and that was re revisiting what was big in the 40s, Hollywood nightlife, swing music, including the band Big Voodoo Daddy, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. A lot of the slang used in the film became popular in the years since its release, which, of course, money became a catch-all term. Uh, Vegas Baby, which Rob Vegas and I, Baby, Rob Vegas, and I have come on. said Vegas. We've been to Vegas dozens of times, etc. And we've said that. We've said that every goddamn time. <laughs> Uh, this I didn't know. The film also gave exposure to the term wingman. I thought that yeah. was a a common term, but uh, apparently not. And then, of course, the the real reference to the swing generation: Trent, Mikey, Sue, Rob, and Charles represent the five members of the original Rat Pack: mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Peter Lawford, Joey Bishop, and Sammy Davis Jr. Baby, baby, yeah. It's uh, and that was uh, just such a such a wonderful piece of Americana, and this movie tried to celebrate that amongst many other things. Yeah, but I also think like Vegas Baby is such a now such a um, known quantity of a mm-hmm. thing. Very few other like very few outside of that phrase. Not a lot of people use 
Baby, you were so money. Unless you're sort of talking about this gestalt or this movie mm-hmm. or yeah. this environment. And I also love that because it's, you know, any colloquialism that gives you a chance to kind of find your, I hate to say it this way, but sort of find your tribe. That seems a little highfalutin to say it that way. But that kind of thing where you're like, oh, these people make sense to me, I think is useful and good. Yeah. When you say that, if someone picks up on it, you, you're automatically connected because you both know where that came from. You yep. know the source material. Oh, good point. And you obviously both enjoyed it because it stuck with you. Speaking right? of source material, you know, you you were the one who told us about Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, um, that they were regulars there and whatever. Yeah. And so it's funny, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, you know, um, it was, you know, the uh, same time there were just a couple of these swing bands that actually got radio airplay. I was working at a radio station in the mid 90s at the, the Edge, an alternative radio station in Lansing, Michigan, that mm-hmm. was playing Big Bad Voodoo Daddy in our rotation, right? No, but yeah, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, this is again why it's such a slice of life from that moment of John Favreau's life, right? They were regulars at the Derby. Um, they were regulars at the Dresden Room, mm-hmm. and they knew these guys, and they would see Big Bad Voodoo Daddy would play there three or four nights a week mm-hmm. at the Derby, and they got to know them. They became friends, and so when he wrote this movie, he just wrote Big Bad Voodoo Daddy into the movie. Okay, and they were all like, "Hell yeah, you can come shoot during one of our shows," <laughs> and that's just what they did. Yeah, right. The guys are up there playing, the cameras are rolling, and they're just going to go and have a show, and that's exactly what they did. The dancers, they were just people who were regular dancers at the Derby mm-hmm. when Big Bad Voodoo Daddy was playing. That and was it. I understand the same thing is true at the Dresden Room, right? Oh, this is so cool. So, it's so cool. There's the scene when they walk, I love this, when they walk into the Dresden Room and there's like the old guy playing drums and his wife playing the keyboards and, mm-hmm. and they're singing uh, Staying Alive, right? The Bee Gees song, <laughs> right? right? Um, that is Marty and Elaine. And Marty and Elaine, this year in 2021, even though they had to take some hiatus because of the COVID, yep. they have just celebrated their 38th year Oof. playing multiple nights a week. They are still playing three or four times a week at the Dresden Room in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Just that duet singing <laughs> pop songs. And, and they are still there 25 years later, they are still playing the Dresden. And any more, awesome I mean, that? they had been doing that for whatever, over a decade by the time Swingers mm-hmm. happens. And any more, I know the, I've been to the Dresden Room twice. And the first time I went was specifically to see this duet. Oh, you really? see Marty? Yeah. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah. 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 Just because, and, and of course, cool. that's why they're still there because the Dresden Room is like, oh, no, no. People will come on a freaking <laughs> Monday night because they're going, yeah. they're flying out of LA tomorrow. They're coming on their Monday night. To watch you guys do yeah. the same orchestrations you've been doing for 40 years. And they're like, yeah. cool, so those we'll of do you it on Thursday. who are in LA, now that places are reopening again, you need to make plans to go on some Wednesday uh, to the Dresden room yeah. and watch Marty and Elaine. Why would you not do that? Go there, get I don't some understand. drinks. Tip as big as you can. Tip the tip those oh, yeah. guys. They've been doing it for for almost forty years. So yeah. celebrate, and super celebrate, fun and it's worth doing. And yeah. speaking of music, that gets us back to the Vince Vaughn angle. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, in this movie, there's the Jaws theme is used in this movie, and it's used with more than ten notes. So it's required that they get permission. So how they did that is Doug Liman, as the director, sent a cut of this movie to Steven Spielberg, who watched it and obviously gave approval to use the Jaws theme, but also saw Vince Vaughn and cast him <laughs> in The Lost World, which that's, I love. That's amazing. Yeah, that's it's amazing. very, yeah. that is absolutely money. That one is so money. That yes, is, that is so money. Because that's a huge, that was a huge get for Vince Vaughn at that time. I mean, now he's a, well, he had his big star turn and now he's doing other things, but uh, all actors have the struggling era, 
the one breakout role, then they capitalize on the breakout role. Eventually, they percolate up to the big budget films, mm-hmm. and you get to run the big budget films. And then, of course, like all things in entertainment, runs its course, and you come back down. But that was his one of his big entrees was uh, at, seeing being seen because they were asking for permission to use the the theme from Jaws. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of little things like that that happen. Um, you see a lot, which is the reason I brought up those other indie movies like Clerks and, and uh, Boondock Saints. There are things like um, there's this one, you see it a lot uh, at the beginning, Mike goes back to his apartment and decides he's going to call Michelle again and it's like 3 a.m. in Chicago and mm-hmm. whatever and he's walking back and forth in his shitty little apartment in the valley, I think. And uh, mm-hmm. maybe it's in Hollywood. It's actually probably in Hollywood. And um, he keeps going to the fridge because he's pacing in this tiny room and part of that is to show that he lives this tiny existence sort of but every time he walks there's nowhere to go and every time he walks into the kitchen because that's his only other option and this is actually John Favreau's apartment uh, there's no light there's not enough light and there's not a window so he has to keep opening the fridge door like we all do like maybe maybe my perfect <laughs> snack materialized but the reason he's doing that is if he stands in that room too long the camera can't see him. So he keeps opening that light to give himself light for the camera. And I love that. And, you know, I'm not sure that that was permitted, but I'm going to guess that that wasn't. And they also used the outside of his apartment building, which is really where Fevre lived. Mm-hmm. And they didn't get a permit for that either, I'm going to guess. They, they didn't get a permit <laughs> to shoot. Uh, when they did shoot the the swing dancing scene, the Lorraine scene, there's no permit. The bar was actually open with patrons. <laughs> there was a sign in front of the bar that said, hey, once you pass this line, you might wind up being an uncredited, unpaid extra in a movie. Yeah. So they just literally shot it, and somebody had to actually go. There was a guy in that chair that he spo- that John Favreau was supposed to sit down in for Lorraine. Yeah. Somebody had to go move him out of the chair. A regular patron. <laughs> hey, buddy, we're trying to shoot a film here. Shake your ass down to the other end of the bar. <laughs> so it was a live bar with regular patrons, and they shot this iconic scene. It's quite impressive. Yeah. Rob, yeah, what that's, your- that's what we're talking about when we're talking about guerrilla, right? Guerrilla yeah. filmmaking, right? Mm-hmm. You got $200,000. You can't afford everything you want to afford, including right. apparently permits. So for instance, there was and the funny thing is at the time. So there's that great scene um, when they're leaving Vegas and they're parked on the side of the freeway having that conversation, right? There was actually no way at the time um, to get a permit to shoot on an interstate highway. So they just started shooting. They just pulled over. And not long after, Nevada State Police pull up <laughs> and start asking them what's going on. So uh, Lyman's assistant director basically says, oh, yeah, we've got the permit. It's back at the office. Uh, let me call somebody to try and get here. She's basically off to the side. When they shot that scene, mm-hmm. the police are just off camera. Wow. And... They said, no, 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 we're not shooting. We're just rehearsing. And Lyman shot the whole thing from like three different angles. They got the whole scene and then they just left. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess we can't find it. Let us go. You know? <laughs> we're going to get that yeah. back to you. We're going to mail it to you. It's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll make sure to contact you the next time we're going to come out here to actually shoot that scene. But thanks for letting us rehearse. And I will say, uh, you know, I I have a, a theater degree. I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I have some, um, you know, low budget movie experience. Mm-hmm. I will say without reservation, there's a reason you need a permit. And we're only celebrating this story because it became swingers. But it happens all the time. There's a reason for a permit so that you can safely do what you're doing. And there are, I can't even get, there must be 
tens of thousands of projects that ended in tragedy that we'll never know about. So I I, I appreciate the skirting of the permits, but... Straight shooter. No, I'm not being exactly a straight shooter. I have done things without a permit too, but there's a reason that they're there and that's to protect the people who are working and especially the people who aren't who aren't Brad Pitt or Vince Vaughn today and they're low, low, uh, low that, on the totem That pole. sounds like it should be one of my short stories. I did some things without a permit. Um, <laughs> and going on with the gorilla, I mean, they could not afford to pay extras so these the multiple scenes at parties were filmed at actual parties that were actually taking that. place love with that. many hollywood up-and-comers and attendants the house was wick godfrey and martin bowen who later produced the twilight film so another <laughs> that's another whole thing about moving to la rob what are some of your other favorite stories of this uh i, this I, I want to build on that though can you imagine okay you're an up-and-coming actor or actress you're a beautiful person in los angeles you hear about this party up in the hills you go there and it's just a normal party you're helping yourself to drink some food and beverage and then you know three or four people are walking around with cameras yeah just in the middle of this party. I bet they don't and have a bad an eye. I, they don't bat an eye at that. It probably happens all the that's time. What I, that's what I'm saying. You don't just walk up to them and say, what the fuck's going on over here? No, you're just like, huh, should I put more gin in my drink? Yes, I should. <laughs> that's, but that's LA, right? That's right? Hollywood, and it sort of That's what it is. It sort of reinforces that in LA, um, you know, you don't go out to a party unless you are ready to be discovered, right? Oh, you I don't see. do that. Yeah. You don't go out like, you see, there's a meme on the internet, which is like, um, freshman college girls at their first party and senior college girls at their last party and okay. it's one photo of a of a girl super cute dressed up hair done heels tiny little purse tiny little skirt and then somebody with like a messy bun and sweatpants and a crop t-shirt that they tore up themselves and mm-hmm. uh, that's true right like you go out in hollywood i have been to parties here in san diego with my friends or i have hosted parties where i i didn't get out of my sweatpants right because it's a movie night or something yeah that's not how you go to an L.A. party if you are in the business, mm-hmm. you know. And, of course, there's not everybody in the business. But if you're in the business and you're going to a party. You got to look good. You got to show up looking good, which yep. makes it the perfect venue to guerrilla film. <laughs> because everybody's yeah. a I would like to point out, though, at my college parties, I hit on both of those chicks. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm not saying that you wouldn't. I'm just saying that if you're trying to be the next, uh, you know, the next uh, big bang. All right. I want A to feel better about uh, the illegal filmmaking that was okay. Uh, okay. Swinger, so. I will let you know, A, they did get permits to shoot uh, when they were in Vegas. So the exteriors of (laughs) of the Stardust, they got permission to shoot at the exterior of the Stardust. But Stardust wanted to charge them too much money Mm -hmm. to film the interiors. So they went to Fremont Street, which yep. Scott and I know quite well quite from well. our visits quite to well. Vegas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they just went to the Fremont Casino, and they paid to shoot the interiors at the Fremont Casino. And again, got permits and paid for the right to film there. So what I love awesome. about that now. is uh, they do that, and this is pre um, the reinvention of the Fremont Street experience yes, downtown. Yes, that's right? true. So yes. It's you guys pre, I know. pre-roof, right? Pre-roof, okay. pre-all of that. Yeah. I know yeah. you guys have gone uh, on a Vegas trip and stayed at the Four Queens mm-hmm. recently when it's been redone, and then it's beautiful. It's sort of old Hollywood vibes, still downtown, or I'm sorry, old Vegas vibes, still downtown, all that jazz. Back then the, when they were filming, 
it was old. It wasn't old <laughs> Vegas vibe. It was just old. just old. So you actually, if you watch it when they're when they have that beautiful car, that's Favreau's car, and they get out of the car and whatever, and they slam it, and they've got that like the roof of uh, light bulbs and whatever, mm-hmm. gorgeous. And you can see into the casino. And then when you go into the casino that they're in on Fremont Street, it's way more dank. Way, way more way dank. dank. Yeah. Way dank and yeah, darker. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and and right, you know, like the the old lady at the five dollar that doesn't know she's not supposed to hit uh, on a seventeen. You know Absolutely, what I mean? That, yep. that kind of stuff. Which, by the way. That's Vince Vaughn's grandmother. Oh, and, there and we go. John, yeah, and John Favreau's <laughs> father is the big winner at the hundred dollars. I love wow. it. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I also really involved. wonder, but I couldn't. I actually looked to see if I could tell. I wonder if they where they stayed in Vegas. Because I'm going to guess it wasn't at the Fremont. I feel like they left their beautiful. Oh no, they, they stayed. They, well out of town. Yeah, they in. left or, their beautiful listen, convertible at the Stardust, I think, probably. Did they literally drive into town at 6 o'clock in the morning and leave at 6 o'clock in the morning? I mean, have, it's yeah, entirely possible. Have. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and I would like to point out the actress, you know, the um, the the pretty baby who uh, brings them their, their scotch and water uh, for the 50-cent chip. Okay. Yeah, I doubt that that is the quality of server you're going to get here on Fremont Street in the mid-90s on a Wednesday midnight to 6 a.m. Yeah. So I'm just saying yeah, that, that's, that might be stretching it a little bit. So the first time I ever went to Las Vegas, I wanted to stay at the Stardust. It was, uh, I think it was 2000, or 1993, uh-huh. and I am a big Elvis fan. You may or may not know that about me. A big okay. Elvis, and okay. especially a big Elvis kitsch fan okay uh, so i love graceland i've been to graceland a zillion times really? i love all of that and i really really wanted to go to vegas and uh see some of the hotels that i knew uh, you know vegas was reinventing itself starting with the mgm and mm-hmm. i knew that like the hacienda where elvis and priscilla got married was definitely on the chopping block the stardust definitely on the chopping block so the very first time i went to las vegas i stayed at the stardust hotel just to get that experience and it was totally worth it i also got to stay at the hacienda about two weeks before they closed that okay. for the eventual uh, implosion of the hacienda um and i've been to vegas ten thousand times since then and i will tell you that while i'm glad i did it i i'm also glad those hotels are gone uh, they were not fancy. <laughs> no, no, no. Rob, this uh, these these guys obviously when they made this they had a love of film and they were showing a lot of their influences right in their sleeve. Yeah. So tell us about some of the homages to directors, films, etc. So in Trent's apartment, we see Taxi Driver poster, we see Reservoir Dogs poster, mm-hmm. right? They have the conversations about Scorsese versus Tarantino, okay. and it's Tarantino just stealing from Scorsese and Mean Streets and Reservoir Dogs and all this stuff. And then the cool thing is they reference two specific scenes, the Tarantino Reservoir Dog scenes where they're all slowly walking, right? Mm-hmm. And they they mention, you know, the um, these scenes from uh, Goodfellas where they had to walk the, the steady cam shot all the way through the kitchen of the club For and they sure, had to walk yeah. through all that. And then later in the movie, they do the Scorsese slow walk and they do the walking through the kitchen of the club the first time they go to see uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy right. at the Derby. And so it's, uh, you know, their point was, hey, everybody steals from everybody. <laughs> then they stole from everybody. Yeah. Which is just what filmmaking pretty much And there's a, a, a neat little uh, sort of twist around where uh, they... Uh, Rob and Mike order a Doers on the Rocks and a Budweiser, which are the mm-hmm. same drinks in Sea of Love that Al Pacino and John Goodman order. Yep. And then in Heat, later on, Al Pacino in the diner scene, uh, the Michael Mann film, he, uh, against De Niro, he orders a Doers on the Rocks. Nice. Yeah. See, there you go. Exactly right. 
Um, and uh, if you want to talk about George Lucas and, you know, obviously the effect of our generation that Star Wars had on us. Yeah. Uh, Sue's car. Mm-hmm. The license plate is THX 1138, which, you know, any George Lucas fans know uh, that was the first film that he ever made, you know, about a, about a robot. And that number, the THX and the 1138 show up over and over and over again, both in George Lucas films and in other people's films kind of say, hey, you're the one that started this whole next yeah. generation of directors and we want to give you a little homage. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was Trent's license plate. I think I said Sue's license plate. It was Trent's license plate. And Rob has one more very important note. Those of you who've watched this and did not grow up on uh, video games back in the day, the video game they're playing in hockey where Gretzky sucks and the Kings are terrible is EA Sports NHL 93. For the Sega Genesis. Sega Genesis. Yes. <laughs> I yes, did not it is. grow up play, uh, playing video games, so that's no, interesting. No, you didn't. You I grew did up. Not. You grew up following the rules, getting permits, and not playing video games. <sighs> I didn't say you. Know, I'm just saying permits are not the devil. <laughs> is all you guys. And in NHL '93, you could fight and you could make the other guy bleed on the ice. And apparently, this is just a skill that Vince Vaughn had, and so they decided to put it in the movie. Uh. <laughs> he was good at getting Gretzky to bleed, and so. I put it in the movie. <laughs> All right. We are running out of time. Rob, any any final thoughts on Swingers or what it meant to you? Anything you want to close with, sir? I, I just think it is a, a snapshot of time because that whole swing dance revolution mm-hmm. was pretty short-lived. And this yeah. movie is made two years earlier, two years later. It might not have that same feel to it. And yet it is a uh, since that time is out of time, right? Mm-hmm. A 40s tradition being done in the 90s. You can watch it at a later time and it's still a movie out of time. Mm-hmm. And yet at the time, it was exactly what you needed it to be. So yeah, I, I just think this is such a well-written movie. And as I said earlier, if the product is good going in, working with the right people, the product's good coming out. And it doesn't matter that it was made for much less than blockbuster movies. Right, right. Still excellent. For sure. And I I agree with you. I think that this movie is sort of perfectly placed. And that thing, that thing that we always call the overnight success, where that actor really took 10 years of shitty parts to get Mm -hmm. the one big one or whatever. It's that moment in time, but for a film, not a human or a director or a person or whatever. And I think that the other thing about it, we've talked a little bit about this on the show, the three of us together, that some movies don't hold up very well over time because the mores of the day were different. Mm -hmm. And uh, Caddyshack is interesting because we we sort of called that a museum piece. It absolutely still works, but you could never make it today. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you could make a movie like Swingers if you figure out whatever that, you you pull out the swing dance revival and you put in, I don't know, craft cocktailing. I don't know what, but something. And the rest of it still stands up. They are... They are young guns on the hunt, which every 20 year old does, no matter what their gender, you know, and they are non they're non uh, PC, but they're also non abusive. They are exactly the people they are today. And I love that because that doesn't always happen. And so I love that you get to watch this movie, which is all about getting in each other's pants. Or trying, or trying to get Mike out of Michelle's pants anyway. Um, and it does it with grace that holds up over 25 years. I love that. It does hold up. And my favorite part about this movie is this is a movie about friends supporting each other through struggling times, that that time in the early 20s, mid-20s, when you are trying to find yourself and trying to go accomplish something, and you are just you are just tilting against windmills and butting your head against the wall, and having that kind of support group there to to back you up when things are going down 
is so important. It was so important for me. It's probably important for Rob, for A, for for everybody. To, if, if you're lucky enough to have that crew, and then to have John Favreau write a story about his crew, and then stick to his guns to make sure his crew was in the movie, and then to watch people go on to have such success, largely in part from his decision. Like, nope, if I'm gonna make this, it's gonna have my boys in it, and that's all there is to it. And he and he pulled that off, and it was great. It was fantastic. Can I make one more quick point sure, Robbie, about? Go. You know, the final scene in the movie mm -hmm. where it's just Trent and Mikey sitting at the diner. Yep. Um, and Trent thinks that the girl is making googly eyes yeah. at him and little baby <laughs> things and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out she is just actually talking to her own baby. Yeah. And she walks out and then Trent tries to act like nothing's wrong. Like that just <laughs> didn't happen. Goes back to the conversation and Mike just looks at him. That's the moment where, you know, we all... We all realize that there's a time when we think we know everything mm -hmm. and we've got it all on lock and we're smarter than everybody else around us. Right. And we see the world the way it really is. And then every once in a while, the world comes up and smacks us in the face and said, you don't know shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. The guy who didn't think he knew what was going on could look at the guy who did think he knew what was going on and say, you know what? You're just as full of shit as I am. Mm -hmm. You're just, you know, you're just bolder about being full of shit. And you know what? That's why we're friends. And... That's I just love that last moment of the it's film so right before it cuts. It's to so and you make a great point that there is a, an un what I'll call an unrelated second film that uh, Vince Vaughn and John Favreau do together. I mentioned at the top of the hour called Made. Mm. Uh, it is not a sequel. It is not related to Swingers. It is worth your time to watch. I think uh, my brother and I have um, a, an literally like a 30, 20 year old uh, back and forth uh, <laughs> scene from the film uh, where they get a per diem. They are they are two bit low low level um mob men who want to get made and it's worth watching because they as you now know if you didn't know before but they uh, were truly friends in real life i'm sure they're friends to this day in real life mm -hmm. and that really shows up at the, by the end of this film and the way that that doug lyman and uh favreau put it together and also of course in made so that would be worth watching too and speaking of pals and one pal being full of shit the next movie we're going to do is going on february 20th it is going to be Big Trouble in Little China. Oh my! Without question, one of Rob and I's favorite films of all time. A, apparently, you like it a lot. Too. I do like it a lot. Yeah. It's a it's a huge movie. We're very very excited about it. So keep watching it. ScottSigler.com or Facebook.com/slash/StorySmack for news of the next review. We'll get that up. Rob, uh, one quick thought on Big Trouble in Little China, and then we're gonna boot your ass out the door. Um. Listen, just hit the gas on the Pork Shop Express. I'll be there. All right, I'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> Thank you so much, All as right, ever. Rob, love, love you, baby. Bye, guys. Love you, pretty baby. You're Back so to money. Maine. And he is. He is absolutely. <laughs> I mean, money. he's so money though. He's so so money. Uh, if you guys are listening to this on the podcast, the next episode will be episode number sixty-five. Again, that will be Big Trouble in Little China. And now the perfect, lovely voice of Miss A. Segler will take you out of this podcast. Go for it. And that is it for episode sixty-four of Story Smack. You can find Scott and I online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram, and his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am at a real girl on Twitter and at a.real.girl on Instagram. And you can find information about the show when we post it at facebook.com slash StorySmack. We stream StorySmack live at facebook.com slash ScottSigler, twitch.tv slash ScottSigler, and youtube.com slash ScottSigler. We do it every other Saturday. We would love to have you join the live stream with us 
And then we do we do encapsulate these and put them in the podcast feed. In addition to Stories Mac, we do a once weekly live stream called Sigler in Place. It is on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. right here where you're watching this if you're watching us live. If you're not watching us live, we are on twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler, mm-hmm. uh, facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. That's right. Or youtube.com slash Scott Sigler at 6 p.m. Pacific time every Wednesday. It's a ton of fun. We avoid all the politics. We just uh, make fun of everything and have a good time. We also, because we're just content crazy, we release an unabridged episode, serial of my, one of my novels every week. They are serialized. You get the whole thing. You get the episodes for free via iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Just go to scottsigler.com slash subscribe for the links. We do Hope you subscribe so you can hear Scott's books and more story smack goodness in the future. And uh, until then, we'll talk to you all real real soon. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. 